Hey there, friends. Welcome to the Taking Your Next Step podcast from Collegians for Christ. Through each episode, we will journey together focusing on knowing what you believe and why you believe it. If you are eager, like I am, to strengthen your faith, then take your next step now by joining us in today's episode. As we continue walking through the book of 1 Peter, I love this book because it speaks so much about hope. Now, I've mentioned on our previous episodes, hope is absolutely essential to life. I've been asked many times, how would you describe the younger generation, this college age generation? And there's two words that always come to mind. The first one is like a sponge. They're literally absorbing everything around them. They're just soaking it up just as a dry sponge would if you place it in water. Um, And that's why it's so important. The correct content is there for them to absorb. It's why it's so important for you and I as believers to be given biblical instruction, to be given mentorship, uh, to be providing discipleship. The other word that I use to describe this generation as a whole uh, is hopelessness. I see time and time again the hopelessness that is riddled uh, throughout this generation. Um, You cannot teach young people from kindergarten all the way through that there is uh, your life is an accident. You're here by natural processes. You're the product of evolution. There is no purpose in your life uh, and expect them to have hope that produces nothing but hopelessness. And we're seeing the results of that uh, as the uh, mental health issues are at a staggering point nationally, but especially as you look towards uh, the college age young people, uh, suicides rates are through the roof. Uh, The counseling centers 10 years ago could handle the load on the university campuses. You fast forward to today and they're maxed out completely and struggling to figure out how to handle, uh, even get to the students who are coming to them. And so it's a major situation. And where does it come from? It comes or stems from hopelessness. But the book of First Peter is all about living with hope. You see, we need hope. And you and I as believers, we should live as though we have this hope. And sometimes even you and I as believers who possess the hope don't always live as if we have hope. But we should. And this is what Peter is writing to distraught uh, believers, believers who are in a very secular culture, a culture that's against them. He's writing to provide them encouragement, but most importantly, to provide them with hope. And a hope is something that they absolutely need to live. And as you and I have the hope, you and I need to share that hope. And our next few uh, episodes, uh, studies here are going to be very practically speaking because Peter begins to show us how you and I uh, can live out hope or really how you and I live our lives is a great determination to what we're speaking and the hope that we can provide to other people. And so we're going to look on today's episode at how to live your life. There's a word that's often used to describe Christians, and maybe you've been referred to this way or you've heard it, and it's the word hypocrite or hypocrisy. Uh, We understand hypocrisy is everywhere. It's not only in the church. You meet that in your friend groups. You meet that uh, in class, at the workplace, uh, all different types of places. You will meet a hypocrisy, people saying one thing but doing another. But that's definitely a label they like to place on you and I as believers in the church. Uh, it's a powerful motivator, if you will. And sometimes it is an accurate description or an accurate uh, depiction of who we are. Why? Because we're just sinners saved by grace. We're not perfect. 
But if you and I say we follow Jesus Christ, we say that we're a Christian, we identify with him, then our life should act like him. And that's what we're going to talk about on today's episode is how to live your life. We're going to look at it in three very practical places as Peter brings this out uh, in our passage here. First Peter uh, chapter number two, verses 11 through 20. I won't read the entire passage just for the sake of time. But here in verse 12, it says this, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak evil, or I'm sorry, speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So if we're going to live our life, first we are to live an honest life. This is how we're to live our life. We're to live an honest life among all those around us. So what does it look, practically speaking, to live an honest life? Well, very simply, you do what you say you're going to do. Not everybody does that. You ever have people say, I'm gonna, I'll am gonna, i call you back and I'll give you that quote or I'll be there. And, and they don't. They don't do what they say they're going to do. I remember uh, when I had my landscaping and lawn care business, I would pull up to give a customer a quote or would begin doing their lawn or their landscaping or whatever I needed to do. And I'd hear this time and time again, thank you for showing up. And I, I would ask, what do you mean, thank you for showing up? I said I would be here. Well, so-and-so said they would come, they never came. Or they said they would come, but they don't come on the day they say when they would come and they end up being a week later. And so they would lose business. Why? Because they're not living an honest life around those. That's in the workplace, but honesty shows integrity. And that shows that you can be trusted by others. How else can we live an honest life among all those around us? This is very practically speaking, admit when you're wrong. You and I need to be willing to lower the pride and admit when we're wrong. I remember having people working under me in the building supply company and there would be times a mistake would be made and they were always like Adam and Eve, and I can be like this too, shifting the blame. We're blame shifters, right? We want to point the finger at somebody else or something else and never say, look, I was wrong. And I learned early on when I worked there, and sometimes these mistakes would cost thousands of dollars because we're sending vinyl siding out or windows out to a a new house being built and you send the wrong color or wrong type of vinyl siding. And, and those subcontractors just put it up because it was delivered. And that's their job just to put it up and it gets put up. And then the builder or the homeowner comes and says, oh, that's wrong color, wrong type. And you trace it back. Well, whose fault was it? I keyed it in wrong or maybe the, the contractor communicated. But if I keyed it in wrong and I saw my notes and I was wrong, I'd have to go to the boss and say, look, I made a mistake. I keyed this in wrong, and I know it's going to cost us thousands of dollars, not just to replace the material, but also to pay the labor to have the material taken back down and put back up because we were wrong. And that takes a, a, a lot of gut, really, to do that. But you and I, as a follower of Jesus Christ, must be honest. And how do we do that? We admit when we're wrong. We admit when we're wrong in our marriages. We admit when we're wrong in the classroom. We admit when we're wrong with our friends. There's nothing more uh, admirable really, than someone who's willing to admit when they're wrong, because that just shows they're a person of character, a person of integrity. And then how can we live an honest life? Do what's right, even when there's pressure to do wrong or to be dishonest. Honest, even if if even if it dishonesty may gain you something, you're, you're staying honest, even if that dishonesty may gain you a promotion, may gain you a financial gain, may gain you a better grade. 
Maybe you're sitting there and it says, hey, this is an online class and it says don't use your notes, but your notes are sitting right beside you. What should you do? Or you're at the workplace and maybe you are in a situation where your business gets rebates based on the amount of volume that you sell and the company wants you to fudge the reports. What are you going to do? In order to be a honest person, a person of integrity, you say, I cannot do that, even if it means losing my job. Why? Because Peter's telling us here in a wicked culture, in a time when everything just seems against Christ, against Christianity, how you live your life speaks volumes to those around you. And how a Christian acts in an evil world is vitally important. Why? Because people are paying attention to your life. And for you to say that you're a follower of Christ, for me to say that, and then not live a life that uh, lines up with Jesus, being honest, would be what? I'm a hypocrite. And then I would be wearing the label that they like to put on the church. How else can we uh, live an honest life? We can work hard. We don't cut corners. Don't cheat the clock. If they, you're supposed to be clocked in at 8, be there at least a minimum of 8 o'clock, if not before. Coming in at 8.05 and 8.10, just because other people are doing it, it's not going to cut it. That's dishonest. You are robbing them of money uh, that you should be earning. So our honest life will speak volumes to those around us. You see, your good works or the way you live will speak volumes to who? To unbelievers around you. And you know what? They are watching you. Sometimes we may not even get an opportunity to speak, but our life has already spoken. And many times, what the way we live will reverse what they say about you. Look what it said in our passage, uh, whereas they speak against you as evildoers. Look, they're saying you're wrong. They're saying you're a hypocrite. They're saying you're this, that, and another because of your religious beliefs. But your actions, your honesty will reverse what they say about you. It will turn their words back on them. You see, it is your conduct that can glorify God to unbelievers around you. Do you want to glorify God? Absolutely, we say as believers, we'll watch how you live your life and live an honest life amongst all those that are around you. Secondly, we see in our passage is to live a law-abiding life. He said, that's not a problem. I've never been arrested. I don't have an issue. That's great. He says here, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. And then begins to go in and say, for so is the will of God that with well-doing, watch this, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. So how are we going to silence our critics? Those that are speaking against us personally and as a whole of the church or Christianity, is it by speaking back? Now, there's times for that, but what he's teaching us here is you will be able to speak back by the way that you live, that with well-doing, by living a honest life, by living a law-abiding life, you may be able to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And he says, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. And he says this, honor all men. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Very practical speaking here. So we are to live a law-abiding life among all those that are around us. Obey the laws of the land. What? For the Lord. You see, the the laws are established for evil. Romans 13 teaches us that. So our law-abiding life will speak to those that are around us. 
What is the purpose of a law-abiding life, living that type of life? He tells us in verse 15, so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. What is it you don't even give them something to point the finger or blame you for? Daniel was an excellent example of someone living a law-abiding life. Do you remember? Uh, They were trying to find him in some type of trap. They were against him. God had promoted him, and the rulers were like, how can we trip up this guy? In Daniel chapter 6, verse 4, it says this, Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. They said, we're going to find something in his work habits, his ethical life, something. But the they could find none occasion nor fault. May that be what people could say about you and me. Why? For as much as he was faithful, neither was... Neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, we shall not find an occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. We're going to have to trip him up in his obedience to God because we know he will not falter. Imagine someone says, I cannot find an occasion against him or her in the workplace, in their family life, in the community. The only thing we're going to be able to do is find some way for them to exercise their religious belief in Jesus Christ, not to deny his name, not to pray, whatever it is, because we know based on their integrity and character that they will follow through with it. And that's the only way we're going to be able to to trip them up, and that's what they could do. And so our law-abiding life will speak volumes to those around us, and they cannot speak against you or God. You see, many times people will speak against God based on your behavior. Isn't it interesting that your behavior labels God? Don't you get frustrated when somebody does something, but you get the blame, you get the label? Absolutely, that is frustrating, right? Frustrating is all get out. I mean, it's one thing when I do it and I get the blame. It's another thing when somebody else does it and you blame me. No, 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 that's not going to work. But how dare our behaviors get the finger pointed at God? So we see how we're to live our life as an honest person, as a law-abiding life. And then lastly, here in our passage, we see uh, we need to live an ethical work life. You see, we're to live an ethical work life among all those around us. It says here in verse number 18, servants be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. Wait a minute. You mean I have to obey my boss, even if they're a little bit rough, even if they speak a little bit harshly to me? Even if they're not a kind boss, yes, according to Scripture. Now, there's certain things that should not be crossed as far as verbal abuse or physical abuse. And if you find yourself in that situation, maybe you need to pray and see if God would have you to find another job. But sometimes God wants you there as a light. And that rough boss, that rough manager, that rough CEO, sometimes they're not even saved. And they're just acting like what? An unsaved person would. And we can't expect for an unsaved person to act the way you and I may would act as a believer. So we are to obey our boss at work, whether he or she is a Christian or not. That doesn't matter whether they're good or not. And froward means they're crooked, perverse, wicked, or unjust. Imagine that being the description of your boss that you have to check in with each and every day. But he says, look, if you find yourself under this kind of employment or under this kind of uh, leadership, then you need to do what? You need to, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward, be what? Be subject to them. Allow them to lead you. Why? Verse 19, for this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, 
suffering wrongfully. Then he says, for what glory is it? If when you be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently. I mean, what is it if, if you're buffeted for your faults and then you take it patiently? But if when you do well and you suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. And so whether you have an angry boss, a hard boss, just know this, God sees it. God knows. God is not dismissed. Just don't go against God or your conscience. But understand, your ethical work life will speak volumes to those around you. It will speak directly to that harsh boss. And so can I say this? Don't gripe about your boss. Don't gripe about your pay. And don't gripe about your work. You say, well, you don't work where I work. You don't work for who I work for. You don't get paid what I get paid. And I've been there with many different jobs. But can I say this? As a believer following Scripture and following Jesus Christ, we're not to gripe about our boss in the break room with other employees. What does that do? That just stirs up strife. Don't gripe about your pay. And don't gripe about your work. You say, what do I do? Go find another job. Go find another job with better pay. Go find another job with a different boss. Go find a different type of work. You see, as believers, we're called to follow Jesus Christ, taking our next step. That is our theme throughout our podcast. And he says this, why should we obey our boss? What does obeying a hard boss do? Well, it's thankworthy. It's pleasing. It's acceptable with God. And think about Christ as our great supreme example of how he was willingly willing to suffer to glorify God. So how can we glorify God? Not if we suffer for our own wrongs. That's what our passage tells us. But if we suffer when we do no wrong, this glorifies God. You see, there may be some we can never, never verbally witness to in your workplace, in the, in the classroom, in your community. But can I say this? But our lives will witness, our lives will convict, and at the same time glorify God to them. You and I just have to be sure we live our life like Jesus wants us to live our life. And Peter tells us we have to live an honest life. We have to live a law-abiding life. And we have to live an ethical life. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please share it with a friend or subscribe to stay up to date on the latest episodes. You can connect with Collegians for Christ online for more information and resources at cfccampusministry.com.